Welcome to the Pace and Freedom with your host, James Pace, where ideas and voices are valued. No labels, no judgment, just conversation. Welcome to Season 2 of Pace and Freedom Podcast. I am so excited for 2020, so excited to have these amazing conversations with great guests, and I couldn't have not picked a better group of amazing people to be on the first episode. I have Stevie Madison, Andrew McLaren, and JT Thomas. Only one issue, the audio is not the greatest. So we've, we had to go to a remote location and the internet wasn't the greatest. I couldn't get the uh, app that I use for recording to work properly and it was just a mess and I did my best. So the audio quality is not the greatest. There's this weird rooster that keeps singing in the background every so often. So if you can bear with that, the conversation was amazing. We talked about Iran. We talked about the impeachment. We talked about government. We talked about decriminalization, legalization, illegalization, prohibition. And it was just an amazing conversation. There was some uh, civil discord going on. And that is great because not everybody can agree on things. And the ultimate goal is to have the conversation and not fight, not have these heated debates, just seeking to understand one another and accept one another. And I think we achieved that on this episode, and that's what it's all about. So some new things going on. You'll notice that there's a new logo. I hope you guys like it. I'll be getting some merchandise out with that new logo soon. I'll be having uh, new merchandise, one in particular that myself and Stevie are coming out with, and I think that you guys will enjoy it quite a bit. I can't wait for it to be out, but we'll talk more about that on the next episode that I have with her. That will be episode two. And I have some new uh, pledged member tiers, so take a look at that. And the other change is I have some new affiliates. So if you go to the website, www.paceandfreedom.com, you'll see all of these changes. So don't forget to subscribe either on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify. And guess what? iHeartRadio has finally responded, and I will be on iHeartRadio. We just need to correct a few things. But keep an eye out and make sure you subscribe, like, share, comment review and help me spread the word so without further ado welcome to season two and this is our first episode yeah hopefully my reception's decent but i am in a remote area of puerto rico so hopefully i don't lose you guys how is it over there how's your uh, oh, vacation man, it's, it's uh it's paradise over here i love it i bet and it's great exactly. things have finally gotten back to normal since you know, Hurricane Maria a couple of years ago. Right, I bet. Oh, man. Yeah, I've been seeing the pictures you've been posting from over there, so... Uh, right. I think the last time I talked to you was before I went to the Bahamas, right? Right, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. So after, it was uh, right before I went to Kenya, too, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Andrew, how do I get on your travel schedule? <laughs> um... I don't know. I mean, I might be going on, on tour with a rap group. I don't want to drop the names. I don't want to, to group uh, jinx it, but it's like an old school rap group that everybody knows. So I'm, I'm on standby. I might be going on tour with them. 
That's I would awesome. say just, uh, I mean, there's no real, like, wait, just fuck. <laughs> right. That's awesome. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. So welcome to Pace and Freedom Podcast Season 2, first episode. Some of the topics that we're going to be talking about are a lot of the current events that's going on. Uh, I woke up yesterday with the uh, news that we killed a Iranian general in Iraq, and now everybody is freaking out in the fear of, of war with Iran. Uh, I went ahead and jumped on that bandwagon and posted my little picture, my profile picture on Facebook with uh, no, no war with Iran. I know Andrew has been posting some things. So, Andrew, would you like to uh, kind of give us a little bit of more information on what's going on with that? I know you talked extensively a little bit live about it. Right. So, I'm not going to try to butcher the guy's name. I just call him General Salami. There he was go. a very, uh, very influential and powerful Iranian general. Uh, that we sort of kept around for a while because he was killing ISIS members. So, like I talked about in the video, Iraq is a is unique Muslim country because it's 60% Shia, uh, 30% Sunni, and 10% Kurd. And Saddam Hussein was the, the head of the Ba'athist party, and he was actually in the minority in Iraq. He was part of the 30% Sunni population. Iran is all Shia. So it makes this interesting. Remember, Iraq is a majority Shia country. Iran is a fully Shia country. The majority of Muslim countries are predominantly Sunni. So that's one of the reasons why there's such hatred between Iran and Saudi Arabia is because it goes back to the way that they interpret the Quran and, and who they feel uh, is the you know descendants of the Prophet Muhammad. So there's bad blood that goes back to them since uh, since ancient times. Now, before the war, before we went invaded Iraq in, in uh, 2003, it really wasn't an issue. There was actually like, you know, a Shia and a Sunni might even marry in Iraq. It wasn't a big deal. But what happened after the war, you had, um, you had Al-Qaeda insurgents move in who were Sunnis, and they started blowing people up, and they basically fanned the flames to, to have a, a civil war. And what this general did, this Iranian general, he saw an opportunity for Iran to have greater influence because it's sort of like when you go to prison, you might not be racist, but in order to survive, you got to join your, your group. you got to be uh, you know, with the whites. you got to be with the blacks. If you're in prison in, in California and you're Latino, you have to either go with the northerners or the southerners. And the people that control the prison like this because they would rather have the inmates fighting each other instead of attacking the guards. So Iran saw this as a great way to say, hey, you know, it's a Shia-majority country. They helped get um, President Maliki, who was a, a Shia, into office in Iraq. He became the president. And Iran basically essentially took over um, Iraq. So when the Sunni, when the Sunni uh, insurgent groups like al-Qaeda in Iraq, which later morphed into ISIS, started attacking Shias, it was this guy... Uh, with Mutakhtar al-Sadr, who was, who was a, a local like gang member who ran these Iranian-funded Shia militias. This is who the majority of people were turning to. So what this guy was doing was like a divide-and-conquer strategy, and he became extremely powerful in Iraq because 
he was able to capitalize on people's fear of Al-Qaeda. Right. So, became ISIS. so we were using this general before we decided to kill him to kind of do our dirty work. Is that kind of... I, I compare it to a, a strategic alliance, kind of like we had a strategic alliance with Stalin to, in order to defeat the Nazis. It, we didn't really want to be partnering with him, but it was like I said, it was a strategic uh, alliance. Because he was an enemy of our enemy. Right. Um, so... You know, he's got a lot of blood on his hands. The Department of Defense put out the, that they've attributed over 500 American lives to this guy. So he was a, a really bad guy. I can remember from my personal experience working for the State Department and uh, and in the Marine Corps in Iraq, a lot of these uh, explosive form penetrators, which are shape charts that shoot molten hot metal uh, and kill Americans, were directly funded by Iran. And this guy uh, took part in it. So when, when we were in Iraq, we had to worry about these Iranian militias killing us, and we had to worry about uh, Al-Qaeda uh, killing us. And it's also important to know the distinctions between Al-Qaeda in Iraq that was run by Zakari and the regular conventional Al-Qaeda that was run by bin Laden. Bin Laden had a disagreement with Zakari because bin Laden didn't think that Zakari should be killing other Muslims or, or other Arabs. He only wanted... Um, Al-Qaeda to attack Westerners. Well, Al-Qaeda in Iraq that later morphed into ISIS didn't care. They, they, they felt that if they could kill two Westerners and, and it happened to blow up uh, some Shias, then uh, he didn't, uh, they didn't discriminate against that. That's why Al-Qaeda in Iraq morphed into ISIS. Right. Now, um, so me, JT, and yourself at least, I, we're veterans in the military and uh, I think a lot of people would be pretty surprised at how many people in the military are like anti-war. So I want to kind of bring in JT on this. I don't know like where your stance on this. I mean, for me, it seems like we, we keep getting ourselves into these situations where, you know, we try to play with these different characters to do work for us. And then they turn out to not be the best choice or they do. So they just go rogue. I mean, as a as a veteran, where where do you stand on this whole Iran thing, just in the Middle East in general? Uh, you know, I was going to form a, an opinion on Iran once the celebrities were done drunk tweeting about it. <laughs> I guess I could give it an attempt now. But I, I, I mean, I'm underinformed. I get the same information that everybody else gets about it. So I mean, you asked about war. I mean, war is bad. One just needs to study history. To know how bad it can be, and that that might be something that I've heard being brought up recently is that some of the um, the last surviving members of the the last great war, the uh, World War II, are dead or dying. So um, people, I've heard people talking about wondering if that might affect. Um, the likelihood of getting into another war because we're not as sore from the last one. Are you following right. the sentiment I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, th I think that there might be something to that. We really don't have a taste in their mouths of how bad it can be. And not everyone's a scholar. Not everyone studies history or cares about international politics and stuff like that. I mean, there's a, uh, I mean, from what I can tell from social media, um, you know, if anybody can jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, I've, you know, I try to have as many people from different sides in my network to kind of get a feel of who thinks what and what, you know, what they understand and what they feel. And 
for this Iran thing, it almost feels like as far as the right and the left this time around, they seem pretty like in sync that, you know, this is something that, you know, we want all to do is go to war with Iran because they're like this evil, you know, player in the world. And it's our responsibility to go in there. Uh, you have any thoughts on that, Stevie? <laughs> You know, honestly, it kind of touches back to like what we were talking about is like, you know, you can't police everybody. Um, As far as, you know, like JT said, the international politics and stuff, I'm not well versed on that. But yeah, I'm not I'm not on board with like going to war, going to war and going in and telling everybody else how to run their shit. And, you know, short of it being some really intense like genocide you know, that kind of thing. Right. I don't know. So, and then, Andrew, you were mentioning that you're kind of conflicted in it, in that aspect. So, and I, I kind of got that feel from you, too, as, as you were putting out some posts and some information on it. So, um, you want to speak on that? Yeah. All right. So, first off, you know, I love Persian food. I know a lot of great Persian people. The majority of people in Iran are not radicals. They're moderate. They're very nice people. If you look at the history of Iran and you watch the movie Argo, before the uh, the hostage crisis in 1979, Iran was like a really happening, hip, um, you know, like avant-garde and trendy place. And it, it it was after the incident with the Shah and, and everything happened in 1979, the country completely changed and they have this radical government. But most of the people in Iran are nice people, very moderate, who have no problems with America whatsoever. And like I said, I know so many nice Persian people in Los Angeles. So what I don't want to happen is I'm worried about this escalating tensions or escalating us into an all-out kinetic war. So, but, but here's the problem that I'm conflicted. I know that Iran has been directly responsible for killing a lot of my friends, for, uh, for trying to kill me, for putting all these bombs in Iraq. And I, and I understand the reality when they took our sailors uh, captive. They, you know, they've done a lot of stuff to to provoke war. But then I'm also able to look at it and say, well, wait a minute. We have about, I think it's about 50 military bases on their um, western front and on their eastern front. So they probably feel like they're, you know, they're completely on the defensive. So I think that we need to look at this, um, you know, from an intellectual standpoint and say, what can we do to try to negotiate? You know, we can't keep getting punched in the face and not strike back. So I support what we did by taking this general out, but I do not support a war in Iran unless it is the absolute, you know, last resort. And I, and I don't see a war with Iran as being necessary right now. And I'm really hoping that they don't do something to, to further escalate the situation. I'm hoping that we can come to a peaceful resolution. I also know, you know, I grew up with my dad who was drafted and sent to Vietnam. I grew up with my grandfather who was a World War II veteran, and my great-uncle was a World War II veteran, and then my uncle was a, a, uh, an American diplomat for 35 years in Korea, Israel, and uh, West Germany. So I, I've gotten to talk to all these different people throughout my life, and I know that we should not go to war unless it is um, a last resort. And we can also look at this and say, we probably wouldn't have to deal with this if we hadn't taken Saddam out. There was a lot of great great things about taking Saddam out. He was a murderous dictator who gassed the Kurds, committed atrocities. But Iraq and Iran were, were checking each other's power because he was, like I said, the Sunni, the Baathist, um, Iran, the Shia, and they had the Iran-Iraq war, and they were sort of um, 
you know, at each other's throats. And we even supported Saddam Hussein back when um, Iraq was fighting Iran. So what I'm worried about is that, you know, we go into war, let's say, with Iran. Iran's military is way more powerful than, um, than Afghanistan and Iraq. And obviously, we're still having problems in Afghanistan. It seems like an endless war with no exit strategy. And now here we are further getting involved into Iraq again by deploying 3,000 troops to Kuwait on standby, 100 Marines to the U.S. Embassy. I've, you know, I've been to that American embassy. And it just feels like things are spiraling out of control. And if we go to war with Iran, I don't know if Russia's going to be supporting them. North Korea might support them. Uh, China might support them. Russia and Iran have a unique relationship because Russia purchased this oil from Iran. And, um, you know, if we go to war with Iran, it's going to cost thousands thousands of American lives. It's going to cost trillions of dollars. And I don't see an exit strategy. And I don't know if we're going to start using nukes. So I guess I just want to wrap this up and say I'm definitely opposed to war with Iran. But I don't know what's going to happen because I don't know what Iran's next move is going to be. But isn't this all like kind of a result, though? I mean, at least I feel that way of us just continuously meddling in the in the Middle East. I mean, I get that we, you know, there's a certain amount of national security that we need to take into consideration, but it feels like this is more, you know, uh, this is just another like reason to spend money in and defense contracts, buy more arms, and just boost up that industry. I mean, what, what is what is your feeling on that, JT? Is this just another military-industrial complex strategy to make more money? It's, it seems, I think you said one thing that can really get the dominoes going is that we do have an interest in the rest of the world for national security and things like that. And that's just enough to sort of dip your toes into international politics. So we agree that we, we want to have some sort of a presence in the world, not none. And then a lot of this stuff seems to be like butterfly effect of one action leading to this other mess that we have to deal with down the line. So I don't know how much of this is um, devious meddling rather than unintended consequences of complicated international politics, national security. Um, I wanted to dive in because, Stevie, you and I talked a lot about morals in our discussions. And, you know... One thing that if I talk to somebody about, you know, our meddling in the Middle East, a lot of people will be like, well, we're fighting for, you know, their freedoms. We want to spread freedom throughout the world. And in the Middle East, they're, they're very religious there. They live by, you know, by their religion. And something that you do here in the United States is fight for certain rights, fight for sex workers' rights, fight for, you know, advocate for um, body autonomy and, you know, things that they don't have at all over there. And when I talk to people about, like, hey, we shouldn't really go into these wars in the Middle East, and they usually throw that back at me. It's like, well, you know, we need to free them. They don't get these things that we fight for here. What it, what do you think? I mean, is that enough for you to convince you to, that we should go to war? Or No. The short answer to that is no. Um, they do, The you know, women in particular do deal with a lot of suppression and um, 
there's a lot of things they're not allowed to do, a lot of things they're punished for. I mean, some, some really horrific things happen over there. Um, and I do believe that there needs to be change, but I don't know that it's our responsibility to invade another country um, and, and try to... I'm, I'm not, in general, a huge advocate of controlling everything around me or everyone around me. I don't think that works. I think resistance leads to more resistance. And I think that that's a big part of why this goes on. Like JT said, whether it's um, meddling or unintended consequences, resistance leads to more resistance. And while, yes, they do need change over there, you know, everybody's got to work it out for themselves, in my opinion. Um, like I said, I, I think genocide's a good reason to to go in. Um, you know, mass mass killings, things like that. But uh, you know, they've functioned the way they've functioned for a very long time and, and they have people over there fighting for their rights. Um no, I don't think it justifies a war. Right. Now in your you know, in we talk about kind of in the sex work industry how have you seen a lot of human trafficking from, you know, those countries? Are people using sex trafficking to get people out of those situations? And You know, that's a great question, and I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I can say that, you know, the human trafficking situation is far less than what the media would have you believe. Um, they also kind of group all sex workers into the human trafficking category. So when they put out these statistics or these graphs or, you know, whatever nonsense they have, it's, it's not that accurate because they're pumping consensual people into, you know, this human trafficking subject. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's not that accurate. Um, it does exist obviously. And it, and it does happen, but um, it's not with the prevalence that, you know, the media would have you believe. So I'm not sure what's going on over there with that and, and what the, how prominent is there or how it's being used. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Andrew, I think this is perfect, like, segue kind of into your campaign as mayor. I know you've talked a lot about trying to lower crime in Chattanooga. And I know most, from what I've gathered from you, most of the crime is more violent crimes. Um shootouts and murders going on but what is uh can we you think you can kind of give us your stance on some of these non-victimless or you know victimless crimes like what at least i consider victimless crimes like sex work marijuana sales marijuana uh, consumption and having marijuana and the sale of it stuff like that yeah, absolutely. Um, just two quick facts about Iran that I wanted to add. Sure. In Iran, you're not allowed to be gay, but you are allowed to be transsexual. So a lot of gay people, if they want to be in a relationship with a man, they have to actually get a uh, sex change operation and, you know, have their uh, their genitals reassigned. So that that was interesting. And then another thing about Iran is their smoking age is 18. I, uh, now, I don't know if that's a fact. I saw it on a meme. I didn't do due diligence, but... I just thought that was a little bit interesting because our smoking age is now 21 in our country. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous that you can go and die or kill for your country and you're not allowed to smoke a cigarette or a cigar or chew dip. And I'm sure that's going over real well 
um, with the grunts and the Marines and the Army. Right. Anyway, um, so back to, uh, to to crimes. Absolutely. Our city right now is, it's a complete disaster zone. There's a gang war waging on. There's been murders literally every week, sometimes a couple in a day. So I want to be very clear because I, I take a lot of uh, slack from some uh, black activists who are actually calling for a return to segregation. And I came out against segregation, so that's a smack in the face of Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. We don't need segregation. We need people to come together. We need people to work together. When I'm talking about this gang war, I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm suggesting that the only people that are selling drugs or committing homicides are black people. I'm not saying that at all. However, most of the victims, and I've been going and meeting with, uh, with victims' families of homicides, have tended to be African-American because the gangs that we're having the major problems with are black street gangs. I, I have a, a gang member working for my campaign. Not all gang members are bad. Some of these gang members are simply in a gang because everybody in their neighborhood is in a gang, and this is what they need to protect themselves from other criminals and sometimes protect themselves from corrupt cops, which obviously we've had a major problem with in our city. We've had three cops um, go to jail for rape, and then we had another cop uh, get arrested and sent to prison for uh, child molestation. And then we've had, we have a bunch of other incidents. Now, with me saying that, i got to also put out there, most of the cops in our city are excellent people, and I got to go on a ride-along and, and interact with these guys and realize that we have a great police force, but these scandals are not helping us. It's causing the community to lose respect for the police and to not trust the police, and that's making it even harder for us to bring these criminals to, to justice. So what I would do, um, I want to bring back the federal weed and seed program. I want to do away with the VRI, which is our current intelligence program that I think is failing. I want to bring back the federal program and uh, and utilize uh, this new this new program that's going to help us. So, well, weed and seed is not new, but uh, Inherent Resolve, I believe it's called, is the new program that uh, the district the um, attorney general just just suggested. It's where they're going to actually help federal money come in and and help augment these police departments. We need to, to use common sense solutions to, to bring these guys to justice. The current mayor who can't run again in 2021 due to term limits says that we know, the city knows who approximately these 100 shooters are that are out there murdering everybody. And I said, if you know who they are, why are we not able to arrest and convict them? And a lot of it stems from, you know, we, we just don't have enough tools uh, that are being given to the cops to be able to go out and get convictions. So I want to take away the stuff that, that's hindering um, officers from being able to go out and make the arrests. Um, so and a, a main thing that I want to do too is I want to take first responders and veterans and I want to pair them with gang members who are like at risk youth and have them mentoring these kids because a lot of these kids' dads are in prison. And I want to have them, instead of uh, going out and killing people or, or selling drugs or robbing people, for them to be able to go and do martial arts or boxing with, uh, with a first responder or a veteran. And I think that's going to be a, a preventive and a proactive measure as opposed to just being reactive and we got to go wait till the uh, people go out and, and kill people. I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, about the challenges that your police force has to arrest these people. And I just want maybe you can expand on that. Is that just red tape to make the arrest or because for me, you know, law seems pretty simple where if there's a victim and you have evidence of that, you know, of a victim, you have the motive, you have the, the means and you have the, what are they, motive, means and, I forgot the third leg of that triangle, 
But if you have all three, you can make a conviction. Why, if, you know... Right. Uh, I'll tell you right now, one of the problems is internal affairs complaints. So we'll have, like, let's say we have an officer making an arrest, and then they go and look in his file, and there's videos of him beating up um, a black citizen and cursing at him, and maybe even saying racist stuff, and then they look in his internal affairs file, and it's got tons of complaints. A lot of times the DA would just simply drop the charges because the defense lawyer... Uh, there's a really well-known defense lawyer who's actually a, a former cop in Robin Flores. And then what he'll do is he'll go to the judge and be like, oh, look, this is the arresting officer. Um, by the way, did you look at his internal affairs file? He's got a history of you know numerous complaints in the community. Here's a video of him assaulting somebody. He's been demoted. He's been suspended. So it's hap- that's happened a lot of times where these guys go and arrest some of the bad guys and then the charges actually get thrown out. Uh, a lot of like the big time people also in the city, they've got a lot of money and they're able to buy influence with that. Sometimes they're they're mixing it up with city council members. Sometimes they've got like nationally known lawyers who are able to go in there and, and basically find a loophole in the system to be able to do that. So what I want to do is I want to clean up the police department. I don't want cops to have these bad records, but because they're they're buddy buddy with um, with the unions, with the police unions, they're able to keep their job. But then when they go and make an arrest, and all of a sudden they've got all that the liability issues, we can't get a uh, uh, conviction. I mean, it seems like if they have this much internal affair reports and records and stuff, then there's a, a problem in that police force. And, you know, I don't know, JT, what, what do you think about, like, kind of something simple? Because um, we're talking about enforcing law and, and like, punishing crimes. Well, I think what we've talked about before is the minimum amount of violence needed to enforce that law. If you incorporate that into it, is that law still attractive to you? And so if you apply that logic to something like murder, like, yeah, we need to go and it's going to get rough and we're going to detain this person, but there's a dead person in the street because of them. I would say, yeah, that violence is, I'm comfortable with that in that situation. And um, I think when that violence is not applied appropriately, like the use of force is um, not applied appropriately, it makes cops look bad. And that happens, and that's not good. And that can put a bad taste in people's mouths. So I, I think that um, this sounds very complicated to me to enforce. Um, I can see why it's so sticky in right. the politics of it. It's not very simple. Well, I mean, it goes back to kind of the criminalization, decriminalization and legalization part of it, right? And we talked about how you mentioned, like, you know, to enforce the law, how much enforcement, how much, uh, I guess, violence you would have to apply to, um, to enforce a law is even worse than having that law, right? And also just that I think that the books are just bloated with things that are crimes that should not be crimes. And that's not helping either. I mean, right. Too many things are crimes that if um, violence wasn't used to like bring someone in for selling single cigarettes or something like that, those resources could be used in places where people really do care, right? Um, like gang violence and murder and and things like that, like that really puts a bad taste in my mouth when I see resources misused in that, in that way too. Right. So 
decriminalization I, is another thing that I would think has helped too. Is is to like lessen the load. If uh, I think you understand my sentiment. Yeah, I mean, just we have all these like what we consider criminal, and it's like you know that are on the books, and it's like why is that a crime? Nobody's getting hurt, you know. I, I read a I read a book last year called Convicting the Innocent, and it was saying that um, there are so many laws now. The average person commits three felonies a day and doesn't even know it. Exactly. Like how in the fuck are we? Like that doesn't. I mean, that's I just nonsense. A, I commit a felony probably every every single day. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. something that people don't consider is how easy it would be for them to technically become a criminal. Exactly. Well, yeah, the average citizen doesn't realize that. I mean, how do you see that being enforced in in your city, Andrew? Like, as far as, like, these, I mean, are you going to, obviously, you can't just change all the laws, but would you, like, consider having your police force kind of draw back a little bit on, like, these non-violent, non-victim crimes? Yeah. Okay. So first off, the the thing I was talking about earlier is called uh, relentless pursuit. That's the um, incentive from the federal government to cities to help reduce crime. So what I want to do is what Atlanta did. They decriminalized marijuana. Their city council voted unanimously to decriminalize marijuana. My hands are tied. I can't just come out here and wave a magic wand if I'm elected and say we're going to decriminalize marijuana. I would want full legalization, not even decriminalization. And then I would want to take the money and invest it into education to be able to pay our teachers more and to be able to pair our first responders more because one of the problems that we have with our police department is most of the good cops are leaving because they're severely underpaid. So I want to give everybody a $10,000 pay raise that's going to get them bumped up to like where the other departments in our area are so we don't keep losing our best guys. So they're paying $34,000 a year. We bump everybody up $10,000. We have 500 officers. 500 times 10000 is $5 million. People say, where are you going to get the money from, Andrew? Because we don't know if we're going to be able to decriminalize marijuana. Well, check it out. If we eliminate cash bail for nonviolent offenders in our city, nonviolent offenders, all these guys are, you know, sitting in prison, and we're, we have to pay for housing, we have to pay for security. It costs the city $1.3 million a month to house these nonviolent offenders. So I want to release all these guys, and then we don't have to pay for, like I said, housing, security. We don't have to pay to keep them locked up. I wanted to to free our culture, free our society. There's no reason in America where a guy should be going to prison for smoking a plant. Most cops agree because this is wasting law enforcement resources and wasting their time for something that is organic and is much healthier than the prescription opioids that are killing people. So we need to, as far as um, prostitution, I haven't, I don't think that would go over too well legalizing prostitution in the Bible Belt. But I, you know, I've got no problem if, if somebody wants to do that, as far as I'm concerned, as long as she's not being exploited or he's not being exploited, I have no problem with that. That's somebody's body, and I don't see why that should be uh, penalized. I think if anything, regulating things, such as marijuana, such as prostitution, is actually smart because that's how we keep people from being human trafficked. That's how we keep people from smoking marijuana that has fentanyl laced in it or has LSD laced in it because we know that it's coming from a legal and a reputable source that we're regulating and we're taxing. Uh, California, Colorado, all these states are making billions of dollars in revenue. There's, it's absolutely ridiculous that it's still um, illegal in some states. And I, and I think hopefully like gay marriage, people will just realize that, you know, it needs to, to let people be free. We pride ourselves in our freedom. And I, and I think, Right now, we have way too many um, 
you know, decent, honorable, law-abiding, well, I can't say law-abiding, but, but decent citizens. And there was a quote that one of my friends is a retired NYPD detective. He goes, Andrew, I've done a lot of things that would put me in prison, but I've never done anything that would keep me out of heaven. And I think it comes down to, uh, you know, Lex Inuus Esta Lex, or what MOK talked about when he quoted uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Any uh, law that's unjust is no law at all. And right now we've got a lot of laws that are absolutely ridiculous and make no sense. Right. Uh, Steve, I was watching you. It kind of, you, you seem like to resonate or like it really kind of, you have some feelings about some of this. Well, this is a, you know, um, the justice system and um, the police force and, and these things are heated topics for me. Um not just because of my own work, but because of my personal life experience. Um, I think that what Andrew was saying about, you know, um, giving that, taking that revenue and, and that income and giving it back to first responders and educators and back to the community to keep the, you know, especially to keep the guys that, the good guys, the, the ones that they want to keep. Um, I think that's awesome. I, you know, I think these are the things that need to happen. And, this is not going to go over well in my community, but, you know, frankly, if if that's what it takes to uh, give back to the community and to support our communities and each other and and see and hopefully make some change, then, you know, I'm certainly willing to participate in that. And I, I think it kind of would take away if you, if, you know, if a city, like, let's just use that example, Chattanooga, you know, if we can, like, as you said, kind of free these people that have not committed any violent crimes, any committed just these very minor victimless uh, crimes, the money that you would save and that can go back into the city and into actually dealing with some of these uh, more violent issues, it would also kind of localize and give a lot more uh, a say to the citizens in that in that community on how to better use resources and what would actually help them. Am I on the right track with that, Andrew? Yeah, and you know, obviously, my critics will say that this was a gimmick, and I'm just doing this to pander for votes. But I said, look, the mayoral salary is 162 thousand dollars a year. Our current mayor is a multimillionaire; he, he takes 162 grand a year. I said, how if I'm the mayor? And I learned this in the military, you know, troop welfare, you always let your subordinate uh, men eat first. You never eat before them. How can the mayor, who's a multimillionaire, take in $162,000 a year? We've got hundreds of veterans that are homeless uh, on our streets. We've got all these people living in poverty. We've got kids that are hungry right now. And I go out and meet with them. And, I, and I'm talking to these people who are saying, hey, Andrew, can you lend me $10 so I can buy formula for my baby? And this is what, and the mayor's a multimillionaire that takes $162,000 a year salary. I said, look, I can't be in charge of the police department and make more money than a guy who's a first-year uh, cop who's risking his life every day and getting into shootouts with violent gangs that are, that are killing people. The kid that works for me, his brother was murdered. Uh, his cousin was murdered. He's volunteering for me because he wants to have a better life for his daughter. So I said, I'm only going to take a rookie cop salary of $34,000 a year, and the rest of the money... We're going to be giving back directly to the people. And this isn't, you know, a gimmick. I was like, please, we're going to videotape it. I'm not giving it to a charity, to a middleman. We're going to be going out to the community. And that $128,000 a year that we're saving by me only taking a rookie cop salary, 
we're going to give it right back to the people. So that's $128,000 a year times four, $512,000 right there out of my pocket going into the community. Then, like I said, we eliminate cash bail for nonviolent offenders. That's an additional $1.3 million that we're saving. I'm all about saving money. Right now, the, uh, the mayor gave away to a Japanese paint company a property that's worth $9.5 million. He gave it to them for free. So we're all trying to figure out why do you, why would he give them this land for free? We have no clue why he did this. It makes absolutely no sense. I mean, we can only assume that maybe there was some type of a kickback or a deal. I, I got to be careful what I say. I don't want to get sued, but I'm just saying that's the way it looks. How, why would he give away? And he, so he knocked down this housing project that, that housed over 400 families living in poverty and said that they were going to do something for the community. So this Japanese paint company gets gifted this land for free That's um, that the city has spent $9.5 million on. And that's just an example to me of fraud, waste, and abuse and, and the type of pork that I want to cut out. But I do think I can I can add right uh, to this, regardless about a lot of these, most of these ideas that have been brought up, about decriminalizing this or, or the different changes you're looking at making. Uh, people will argue, well, that will never work, or yes, this will work. You know, one way you can do that is test it small. What, what what might what might work in Chattanooga might not work in San Diego, but you try it there and you, you look at it and you see how it works and then and then you can try it in another city. So tested small is something that I would love to see done more. And and the city is a great place to do that. You try something, you see how it works out. And I think that's what's happening with marijuana. I think people are seeing it, that it's 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 doable, it's working, and it's good, and the idea is spreading. Right. We're even having. An issue already with the, the legalizing of marijuana, uh, at least here in um, California, they just decided that they're going to raise the taxes on marijuana because I guess maybe it was going way too well. So now the government mm-hmm. got greedy and it's like, oh, I want a little bit more of this piece of pie. And then I'm going to gather all this money and waste it in, in stuff that we don't need, like bicycle lanes that cost for some reason a million dollars to put some paint lines on the street and it goes back to that whole what you and I was talking about Stevie is decriminalizing versus legalization right where when you decriminalize something you're basically allowing people to choose how to um, deal with that issue versus legalizing it and the government saying okay well this is how you will let you do it but this is how you are going to do it well, that's the thing. I don't think legalization is necessarily a bad thing. I'm just going to make a general statement about that. But yeah, like where does government stop? Right. You know, like where is it? Like this is what it is and that's what it's going to be. Like no, government can always come back in and raise the taxes or fuck around with it or whatever. It's like, I mean, I think that's the part that um, that's another another layer of frustration with legalization. Um is that they it's just it's always changing and it's not really ever for the people's benefit per se. Right. I wanna go I wanna touch on um kind of more in your industry and the sex work industry and you know, because we would we do have an episode out on that, but I think it's very important for this first episode and kind of get people aware and when we see and I don't know if there's an issue there in Chattanooga Andrew, with as far as uh, sex work or not, I don't know what the uh, kind of the status there is, but we see that because sex work is 
uh, criminal and illegal that it puts so many people at risk. We've talked about this in, in our first episode together, mm-hmm. um, where it puts the the sex worker at risk, it puts the victim at risk, because now you can't go to anybody if something bad happens. Oh, yeah. You know, then you really do have a victim, and now there is a crime that you can't do anything about because you will become a criminal for something that you were a victim for, right? you know? No, I have girls uh, messaging me all the time. I mean, it's all the time uh, asking for advice. Um, what do I do? Who, sh- who do I turn to? Because, you know, they have clients who are stalking them, who are, you know, extreme harassment. Um, threats, extortion, blackmail, assault, rape, what, whatever it is. And, you know, these are like, I'm having panic attacks all day long. Like, I can't sleep. I'm afraid to leave my house. Like, and there's nothing they can do about it. And you know, it breaks my heart because I'm, I'm there to support them. And, you know, I do some research. I reach out to people like, you know, is there anything we can do? Is there anyone we can talk to? And the answer comes down to like, no, there's not at this point. Um, but yeah, these are girls that are, are truly victims of these things. And, you know, they're, they're now living in fear because they're dealing with psychos. Right. And there's nothing they can do about it. And it's really horrifying. What are your thoughts on that, Andrew? As, you know, being a mayor that would like have maybe some of these issues, what... How would you be able um, to help I've, these I've situations? Heard, I've heard stories of corrupt cops and pimps robbing uh, their sex workers. And, you know, I don't think that it's uh, something that we should be promoting to have, you know, women doing prostitution. But I think that the other side is that we don't want these women to be, or, or guys, to be exploited. And that's what's happening to them right now. They're, you know, a lot of them are desperate. Some of them are addicted to drugs. And, um, you know, I've heard stories of, of pimps even getting their, their prostitutes addicted to heroin so that they have to go back all the time to their pimp. That so, does happen, but I do want to point out that, that is a, that's a huge minority. I just want to point okay. that out. Right, yeah, these, these are like personal stories that you know, I've been told that, uh, that this is what was happening to them. Yeah, no, it, it does happen for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my overall point is, I don't want these women or, or men to be exploited. And I think that when you're in the shadows and you're doing this stuff in the shadows, you can't go to the police. So when I hear stories of, you know, a corrupt cop robs these women, they don't feel comfortable to go and talk to internal affairs. Or even if they did talk to internal affairs, it was ignored because they're looked at as, you know, oh, they're just a prostitute or they're on drugs or whatever. So I think uh, there's a lot of countries that have legal prostitution like Holland. Um, and, and I, I think that it's, you know, it's, it's not something that I personally approve of. It's probably not going to be too popular in, in the Bible Belt in Chattanooga, but I want to do everything to be able to empower people. And I see this as, as something that's going to negatively harm people that are in this industry because they, they're not able to defend themselves or go to the police or, you know, I, I think, um, I could see it definitely being something in the future, maybe that that would be regulated by the government. As back to marijuana, real quick. Yeah, I, I've been following that. California got really greedy, started overtaxing these legal marijuana farms, and now a lot of people are going back to doing things the underground way because 
they can't uh, make money with all these ridiculous taxes that California's added on. And do you have any thoughts on what we've been talking about, JT? Uh, I'd like to hear you. Uh, about which part? We're talking uh, about both <laughs> marijuana <laughs> and sex work. Well, because I, I know you're really into all that. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say that I believe that freedom cannot be given to you; it can only be taken away. And uh, essentially, when you criminalize some things, you're taking away freedoms. And it, when we're having a discussion like that, like it's like I, that's how I kind of view it. It's like giving this freedom back to certain people to do this thing that is their right to do. And it's sad that we're there, but that's why we're having these conversations and having this fight is to get these freedoms back to certain people. I think we talk about regulation. I think regulation can be important, but the state can get too greedy and get, and get too big. I think that's what you were segueing into. And I think that absolutely happens, especially here in California. Right. And it's kind of bleeding into, so I, I, I listened to this, this other podcast and there's this fear now, right? Uh, since uh, net neutrality was uh, revoked um, under the, the Trump administration, and now there's this kind of fear that one of two things could happen, right? Is that now government can come in and basically convert it into a public utility and regulate it and tax it or you know you get the crony capitalism where they can now come in and overcharge people to get better internet or worse internet or whatever it's going to be uh you being in the cyber world what i mean how does regulation affect that how does it affect the the, the internet i thought i understood net neutrality um I understood it as the prior prioritization of packets and, and, and information. Um, so a provider shouldn't be able to prioritize your packets versus like another business's information packets. So right. that would be like, you know, Comcast says, sorry, Comcast, <laughs> let's say Comcast, you know, is, is, uh, Tells us one business, if you can pay us more money and we'll make sure that you're getting prioritized traffic through the network. Right. And uh, I thought net neutrality was about stopping that sort of thing from happening. So beyond that, I'm sure there's other dirty details in there that I don't know. That's all I, I really knew, knew about it. And I think that is concerning. Um, the Internet's gotten really big, too. I mean, there's a lot of hands in that pot. And... Uh, you know, capitalism isn't, isn't all bad. You know, it does force things to work itself out in some ways when you have um, someone who's willing to come in and make um, something better, offer, offer a better service for cheaper and stuff like that. Um, but that's kind of hard, too. I guess, I guess taxes and the, and the state is that thing that really can force the hands of businesses. Like they, to, to stay in business, they have to sort of... Right. Well, in California, for example, right, they're trying to they trying to tap into the internet world to try to see if, what they can regulate, what they can tax. And one of the things that California has done, at least, is um, even if you say have a web, you, you you develop your website for your business in Rhode Island, for example, right, and 
you provide any kind of service to somebody in California, say somebody in California accesses your website, they have a service for, I don't know, let's just use an example, the cloud, right? You get to use that yeah. person in Rhode Island's cloud to, you know, a cloud service to save stuff. California will, because you sold that person a service, they can tax the person that's already in Rhode Island. And they're trying to find ways to do that saying that, well, then you shouldn't have sold to our person in California this service. So it's preventing from people outside of the state of California to service people in California remotely. And in a way, it controls the internet then, right? Because now you're controlling who, you know, the people in California, who they can, what websites they can get on, and what websites they can't get on. I wonder if some of this has to do with also like online shopping, like what the state can get a cut of and maybe the internet being the way it is and, the, and, and where these things are located is affecting how much money the states might be getting or cities might be getting for these, these sorts of things. So it could be a power play to sort of um, balance that back in the, the favor of that I'm not really I'm not really sure, but I can see the implications of what you're talking about. Right. It makes sense. Now, is that like something that would be enforceable though in the in the internet to prevent somebody from purchasing and not having to pay taxes? Because I know for me, you know I think the state can do whatever it wants. That's the sad truth. The state is going to do whatever it wants and you know, we can try our best and we should speak up and, and uh, really elect people who are going to act in our best interests. I think that's what we can do. But as far as like an instant, I'm able to stop the state. Real quick response to something. No, we really are going to do what they want to do. And we can only hope to respond. But if you want to sort of like respond ahead of time, that's where it's going to be. It's about getting out corruption and putting people in place who are willing to speak for you. That's, that's your preemptive action towards this. Your responsive action is, is limited. The state's got to be by the balls. To right. be honest. I mean, it's like we said earlier, right? We, we pretty much commit a felony every day, yeah. you know, at least three, three felonies a week. So I mean, if I don't pay my taxes, eventually people are going to come with take me to jail. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I can say, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go off the grid and, and I'm not going to pay my taxes this year. I'm going to disappear. Right. So I mentioned we were going to talk a little bit about the impeachment. And I don't want to, because we've been going now for a little while. Uh, Andrew, I know you yes. posted a lot about this impeachment. What are your thoughts on it? Like, would I vote for it if I was in Congress? Sure. sure. Um, I would vote yes for it. And, you know, that might. That might lose me some support. I came out and just supported the sheriff, and that lost me some black activist support. Um, and I criticized the police, and that causes some cop friends of mine to stab me in the back. But it is what it is. I think we need leadership. We need decisiveness. And I talked to a federal judge who's a Republican. I'm not going to name drop him. And uh, he agreed that what Trump did was impeachable. So I understand where Tulsi was coming from with the present vote is because she knows that you know most Republicans think that what he did was not impeachable. My problem with Trump is uh, his character flaws, is, is when I'm reading about these articles about him walking in and bragging about 
seeing underage women at a pageant that he owned, and there's a 15-year-old girl that's that's naked there and vulnerable, and he's there. Uh, my problem is uh, is you know him basically trying to use political leverage to get dirt on Joe Biden. Now we can talk about the Democrats, of course. They're no saints. They've done a lot of horrible stuff too, but there's been a lot of things to where I question uh, Trump's judgment. Now, as far as the impeachment is going to go anywhere, no, it's not going to go anywhere. The Senate most likely is going to vote. They're going to clear like what happened with Bill Clinton. Um, there's also the, the Emoluments Act, to where Trump is personally benefiting from a lot of his businesses making money. Um, so bribery, emoluments, uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole gamut of issues to where I personally feel that what Trump has done in his uh, presidency is, in fact, impeachable. I just don't think that it's going to go anywhere. Uh, the country is is extremely divided right now, and you know Trump can literally do anything, and his supporters are gonna are gonna back him up. What would you vote, JT? Uh, what I vote for? I'm so split on this issue. I couldn't really give an opinion. Um, I just wonder. I'm just wondering what the overall strategy is here, because like you said, uh, this it can't pass in the Senate. So what's What's the goal here? Is this to sort of affect the 2020 election? Um, is this hoping that they could maybe they're hoping that maybe he'll do something else stupid that maybe they will get those votes eventually? Like, what is the play here? I hope it's not a, a giant waste of resources, but it's also got me thinking about because I'm very new to politics, wasn't very interested in it when I was much younger, and so I was also very young when. Uh, President Clinton was impeached. I know that he was acquitted, but I was wondering what was how what was the division like then? Was it just like it is now? Are we just going through the same thing again? Is that I think that's important. It, we might just all be in a mind trap, and I'm trying not to get captured by. It. I really it sucks being in the center, and like everyone hates you when you're in the center. But that's yeah. where I'm at. <laughs> you tell me about it. I get it all the time. Yeah. What about? You Stevie, what what would your vote be in the Congress? I mean, I would vote yes, but for the same reasons that Andrew mentioned. Like I that's always been I I I got into politics very deeply for a brief period of time and then just had to like remove it from my line of sight. It was just it's too it's too complicated, it's too depressing, it's too infuriating. Um but yeah, from I, I always said that, like I'm not super into politics, I don't follow it. But from a human standpoint, this person is a disaster and should not be the face of our country, in my opinion. I mean, when it comes to the constitution, you know, and I think about like how well written it was and how clear they are and how the process of government um, should be, and particularly in this case, I can see where, like Andrew said, where, you know, I can see why she would vote present, uh, and I can see how some of the people that voted no, and I believe there was a couple of Democrats that voted no as well, and their thing was, well, as per the Constitution, this is not really, you know, some of these character flaws are not really grounds for impeachment. Uh, my thing is that from what I was able to gather from this whole process, right, and again, it comes back to the mainstream media, how much they focus on things that are irrelevant instead of focusing on the things that are relevant. 
And when you dig deeper into it and avoid social, uh, the mainstream media and the main social media is that there are actually some impeachable acts that this president has done that were criminal would have been grounds for impeachment, but yet we did not focus on that whatsoever. And it's kind of frustrating because some of the things are like, you know, lying and uh, cover up. A lot of these things are impeachable acts and are criminal and supporting people lying, supporting people trying to cover up their tracks. And, and that's criminal. So, yeah, I think I would vote yes on the impeachment. Now, we're going the Senate. And like you said, JT, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Uh, Andrew agrees. And I don't know where your stance is. I don't. I, I pretty much for you, yeah. The same. So is this just all, all just for play? It's just a entertainment for, you know. I don't, I don't think so because they, I don't think they would, Democrats would pour so much resources into this if they didn't have a strategy at least, whether it works or not. They're putting a lot of resources into this and obviously their, their goal is to have 2020 work in their favor and they right. think this probably is going to help them. By just putting like a black mark on the president and hope. That, that's one way. I mean, they maybe they do think, like, I think there's, however it could work out for them, I think that they would take it, right? Like, so if someone, if, we, if this Iran thing blows up in his face and that changes some people's votes and they do get the votes, that's good for them. If this gives him a black mark for 2020, that's good for them too. Right. So it makes sense, I guess, from a strategic, uh, strategic standpoint to do this, but I don't think it's about, um, getting rid of him now. Right. It's not going to happen. You know, it's, it's some other goal. What do you think, Andrew? Is it just a, a strategy to win votes by the Democrats? Well, or? Right. First off, look, there's a lot of things I like about Trump, and I agree, this impeachment process, instead of Congress passing bills that helps our country, they're, they're spending millions and millions of dollars on this um, dog and pony show that's not going to go anywhere. But uh, another problem that I have with Trump is how he basically spits in the face of a lot of our allies, kind of like buddies up with Kim, buddies up with Putin, and buddies up with Saudi Arabia. I've got a major problem with Saudi Arabia killing a, an American reporter and then him going and selling $110 billion worth of arms to Saudi Arabia that has massive human rights violations. So these are some of the problems I have with Trump as far as the bribery. Um, basically, you know, the, the quid pro quo, quid pro quos are normal politics. Jeez, if you think it's bad in the national level, in the city level, it's even worse. But right. the problem with that is, you know, you can't withhold aid from a country that's in, that, that's been invaded by Russia, one of our geopolitical foes, and say you gotta, you know, give me dirt on Biden. Another thing that he might get impeached again for is uh, ignoring congressional subpoenas, ordering his subordinates to, to disobey congressional subpoenas, and Donald Trump. My dad was drafted right after he graduated college and sent to the front lines. Three of his men died in his arms. My dad was sprayed with Agent Orange and dealt with the, the symptoms of being sprayed with Agent Orange his entire life. And Donald Trump, uh, his dad bribed the doctor to lie and said he had bone spurs so he could avoid serving his country in the military. So that's another problem I have with Donald Trump is how can you lead us into yet another war and command our troops when it was your time to serve your country in uniform and you lied to get out of it? So, and, you know, I've heard uh, just recent actually uh, some recent news uh, at one of his rallies he was calling for uh, to bring back the draft and I mean how hypocritical is that I mean you avoided the draft but you want to draft people into the military to fight your wars it's just 
beyond like how can people support a president like this and you know i'm having an episode because we do have a lot of libertarians that are coming out and say well you know i don't really like who we have for our party and i don't like the democrats so i'm just gonna vote for trump and it's like just don't vote <laughs> yeah you know uh i don't know like if i had to pick lesser of two evils i mean i just won't pick evil at all and that's kind of my two cents in that. Um, I greatly appreciate having you guys all here for my first episode for this season. It's a great privilege. And I hope to have you guys on again for future episodes. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time out of your vacation in Puerto Rico to uh, talk to us and have this conversation. Do you want to... Yeah. It was uh, very interesting. I, I appreciate it. And I'm not a, an expert on uh, on prostitution or these types of things, so it's always insightful for me to get to, to hear from an expert. So thank you, Stevie. Absolutely. I'd love to talk to you more. Yeah, absolutely. You want to give a quick plug-in for your campaign? Yeah, it's in uh, 2021. There's no incumbent. The current mayor can't run again because of term limits, so it's a wide-open field. I'm the only independent running, so I'm taking on the status quo and the very well-funded uh, democratic machine. The, the current mayor is a, is a liberal Democrat, but I see him as a fake and, and being a vulture capitalist, knocking down these housing projects, over-criminalizing people, letting uh, corrupt cops stay on the job. Uh, and then I see the, the Republicans that want to get into the race, they're all about you know overdevelopment, knocking down our trees, ruining our environment, and just sort of you know grab, 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 money, 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 greed, greed, greed. So if you want somebody that puts people over profit, puts humanity first, I think that I'm the, the right candidate for you. And I'm not going to play the political games and let the Democrats and Republicans influence my decision-making. We're going to take our city back. This is for the people. Your voice matters. We all matter. I don't care if you're homeless. I don't care if you're a felon. We all have equal rights as human beings. That's awesome. Good to hear. And Stevie, you want to give uh, any plug-ins? Um, I don't know what to, what to plug in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could... Probably plug in something for you. Yeah. Uh, watch the or listen to the second part of. Uh, yeah, we'll have to do part two. Yeah, we're going to do part two of Stevie's episode. Uh, go listen to her last episode, which um, is called Sex Work, and it's on under season one. You can uh, go to Apple Podcasts or any of the other um, podcast outlets, even YouTube, and listen to it. JT? So I have a YouTube channel. I was doing cooking because it was my hobby, but I'm going to be changing it. Uh, I'm transitioning out of the military very soon. I'm going to be studying to become a science teacher. So I was as to train myself to become a better teacher, I'm going to turn my YouTube channel into a teaching science channel. So doing experiments and stuff like that. And so uh, JT the Lionhearted on YouTube. I don't have any content of science experiments yet, but they will be rolling out the next event. Nice. I can't wait for that. Hopefully you'll have me on. Alright, well that's all we got. Don't forget to uh, subscribe, like, and share. You can find the podcast and all of its outlets on paceandfreedom.com. Don't forget to give us feedback, leave a review, and um, definitely subscribe and share. Alright. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being on. Thank you.